Hey guys, welcome to the official episode 3 of the 1AADC podcast. We are the world's largest student-run consultancy for non-profits and social enterprises. And this episode is brought to you by the 1A Degrees Consulting Branch from the University of Melbourne. Of course, always feel free to listen to our prologue for a better understanding of what this podcast aims to achieve, or visit our socials. There are timestamps below for quick and easy access to areas and episodes you wish to browse to, as well as the socials for this week's guest, so you can check out their profile whilst listening. Additionally, as per request of this week's guest, we wanted to commence this podcast by acknowledging that we are on Indigenous land and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay our respects to the Elders, past, present and emerging. And with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to episode number three of the 180 Degrees Consulting Podcast. If you have the chance to listen to episode one and two so far, we've had a mix of management and strategy consulting. So today we actually get to dive into the more risk and HR perspective of the consulting world. And we're joined by myself, of course, Kevin, your host for the 180DC podcast. And we're also joined by Michelle Lim, who has formulated a career from working in professional services and change management. So I'll let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit more about how she got to where she is today. So Michelle, pleasure to have you on for this episode and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. First of all, I wanted to say before I jump in, um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, it's a really, really exciting opportunity to kind of to be able to share my um, career journey with, um, you know, fellow listeners and um, potentially, you know, add a little bit of value and insight into kind of the management consulting stratosphere and kind of what it entails and also what it doesn't entail. Um, so um, thank you again for having me. So coming off the back of my um, university degree where I studied psych and neuroscience, I jumped straight into um, my first consulting gig was um, a graduate position at KPMG. Um, I was, you know, put into the risk strategy and technology team and I had such an amazing time there. I had, was there for about a year and a half. And then from there, I moved to Accenture where um, I wanted to kind of stretch that muscle, the change management muscle um and learn a little bit more there so that kind of leads me kind of to where I am now um, within my career I'm no longer at Accenture um about to potentially start um on something new so um and we'll hopefully be able to share that in the future with with everyone but um but really excited for what's to come wow I guess by the time this episode releases we'll have a very great understanding on what that role is but I guess yes. we'll start it off yeah uh, generally, actually, I use the first five minutes or so of the podcast episode to kind of dance around different topics, but I'd use that word actually as a foreshadow of your life prior to university itself, <laughs> because before you were a consultant working at big companies on the lines of uh, KPMG and Accenture, and even before you were a psych and neuroscience major at the University of Sydney, there was something quite fascinating about your high school days. And so can you share this past with our audience members to give us an idea of who Michelle Lim was before all the corporate experiences? Of course. Um, so funnily enough, before my consulting days and before my university days, I was a dancer. Um, so I was a ballet dancer and I studied and pursued dance ever since I was a young child. And I started to get um, really serious about it at about the age of 15. So from the age of 15, I threw myself into full-time ballet where I trained full-time, so nine to five every day. And I would come home and do my um, high school studies um, through correspondence. So I do that on my own at home. And it led me actually to a career in classical ballet where I 
um, moved over to Hong Kong and was able to pursue that for some time um, whilst also juggling my um, year 12 studies, my HSC. Um, that was a condition of my parents. Um, if I was to go overseas and pursue that ballet career, then I needed to um, also have an education, which I um, at the time wasn't so happy about because all I could think about was ballet, ballet, ballet. Um, but at the same time, um, and in retrospect now, I'm very grateful for because I wouldn't have been able to jump into um, the career that I'm in now without having having all of that um, that education to back me. Oh, that's so cool. I don't think I've ever met anyone with such a unique background before. I, I mean, I've met yeah. people who've danced to music in their spare time or they've done like choreography for a like, local organisation or student club, but to take dancing to a professional level and whilst you're still studying as well, I mean, color be surprised. But on that yes. note, you still dance, Michelle, or is it something you've kind of left in your past for now? Yeah, so um, I've kind of left it in my past for now. When it comes to classical ballet, it's one of those things where um, you either do it or you don't do it. I kind of do it as a hobby and it's very much still um, a part of my life and you know I'm very much still involved with that dance community only because I've got so many friends in there and I've been in it for so long so um, I could say it still has a part of my you know my heart but um, in terms of career I've left it in the past. A hobby? I love yes. to think I still have some of those. <laughs> I guess <laughs> students nowadays are more, they're more fixated on whether a hobby can kind of get them a job or like fast track their career in some way. But I think that's a great that's a, that's a great segue into experiences and things you do on the side, right? Mm -hmm. So I think students will have this perception that it takes a lot to get to where you are right now. And yeah. I believe they're correct to think that because the experiences you pick up along the way, they formulate mm -hmm. these decisions in your career pathway, kind of like how we covered micro and macro factors in an earlier episode. And so mm -hmm. Michelle's story, it incorporates a lot of different things, right? Extracurriculars, exchange, and part-time jobs and internships. And so, mm. Michelle, can you, in your own words, explain the importance of building your resume and getting mm. involved with the industry during your time at uni and how your experiences helped you decide what graduate program you wanted to pursue. Absolutely. So I'm a very firm believer in kind of creating your own opportunities. Um, and that, and what I mean by that is really going out and seeking those opportunities for yourself. Um, I know there can be barriers, you know, whether or not, whether you're from a low SES community um, or whether or not your university or your high school even offers those experiences. But um, in this, you know, time and day and age, I think there is, um, there, there is huge weight on people kind of going on LinkedIn, creating a LinkedIn profile and just re reaching out to people that you want to work with or potential people that you aspire to be like one day. Um, I, I know I did a lot of that. Um, so I actually came from a, you know, low SES background. My parents um, are first, you know, are, are immigrants. Um, and I'm from a first, I'm a first generation Australian. I'm also the oldest girl um, in my family. And I, I can safely say that my parents didn't, didn't really know that much about, um, potential opportunities within industry or even universities for that matter. They, they, they pushed me to, to, of course, pursue that and to achieve those goals and strive for those goals, but they didn't really know the direction um, in which I could, you know, obtain those opportunities. So I, I think I, from a very young age, I saw that it's something that wasn't going to come easily for me. And I think 
that was very much instilled in my, not just my own personality, I think that's also just how I am, but also, you know, very much embedded in like my thought patterns around, okay, this is something that I will have to find and do for, for myself. So um, I guess in terms of getting involved at, you know, within industry at your time at uni, I think if there aren't opportunities or if you see yourself potentially wanting to work in a particular area, um, and that might not even necessarily be aligned with your degree. You know, I came from a psych, science, neuroscience background. You know, consulting isn't exactly the first thing people think of when they study psychology, but it's definitely something that, um, that you know, that I potentially wanted to do in the future. So I think I just made sure to reach out to either university professors, lecturers, um, as well as um, I got to, you know, get involved in societies at uni as well. So like um, 100 Degrees Consulting. I wasn't a part of 100 Degrees Consulting, but I was a part of Enactus. So being able to kind of intermingle and have those discussions with my peers within Enactus um, enabled me to kind of seek out those future opportunities and um, potential internships within, within, that, within that space. So I think if, if you don't necessarily see, I guess, your career path being in line with what you want to do, I think the main thing um, and the main advice I have is to create those opportunities for yourself and start very small. Start by just having conversations with people around you, your peers. And then from there, you'll see that you'll start to build a network. Um, and I really do believe that a network is um, beyond invaluable. And it's something that not isn't necessarily reiterated at uni, but is something that you should start to build out whilst you're at uni. Yeah, networking is so, something crucial, right? Like you have to know like different people in your networks, especially like down the line itself when you are in your, like three, four or five years into your career in itself. Yeah, you have to know people. And like by then it's not like the application process is similar to grad programs where you're talking applications there. You can get jobs from finding people or talking mm -hmm. to people, talking to recruiters. Actually, you might even get poached in itself as well. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah, that's probably happened on your end with your experience, low itself. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But, so I, yeah, you were right. I was poached. I was poached by a director at KPMG to start. <laughs> okay, well, that story is going to leave a lot of people having a lot of imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think a great point you touched upon there was time and how uh, time mm. tends to be a definitive factor and a big contributor to change and passion itself. And so, mm. but people have different perspectives on like oh, what long is in terms of duration, whether mm. it be a long time in uni or a long time within a company. And so, mm. from one big corporate name to another, uh, you yeah. move from KPMG to Accenture. And so, actually, I know our audience base is the majority of university students, but I feel this topic is helpful for down the line when you're yes. in the corporate world, navigating the reality that is a career in consulting, but changing jobs and taking up another opportunity. Uh, Michelle, you're welcome to share the aspects you can, but what yeah. prompted this move from professional services to a consulting-based organisation? Still staying, of course, in the domain of management consulting. And more directly, I guess, uh, how did the day-to-day -day change at one of the big four to, quite frankly, a company like Accenture? Sure. So I think for me, um, it if I'm going to be quite frank, it didn't change too much um, in terms of my move from KPMG to Accenture because I was both, I was doing, you know, risk consulting within KPMG and then still, you know, in the, within the consulting realm at Accenture. I think for me, the biggest change was um, learning opportunity and growth. And that's tend to where, that's 
that's where I tend to kind of follow um, and kind of has been, I guess, the way that my career has unfolded is always where are the opportunities, not just the opportunities for um, my career aspirations and my goals, but also where are the learning opportunities. Um, so one of the things that I like to share with my um, you know, I, I also mentor, so I've got a couple of mentees under me um, and counsellees, and I also have three younger sisters that, you know, tend to come to me for advice as well. So one of the things I share with them and all of them is that um, if you feel like there aren't any learning opportunities for you in the particular workplace you, you're at, whether or not you've been there for a year, two years, three, four, five, even a couple of months, then... Um, and, and if you, you have to make sure you also ask for those opportunities. So with, if you've asked for those opportunities and they're not there, um, then I actually really do believe that it's probably for the best for you and the company to, um, to move on and to, to seek those learning and career opportunities because, um, you know, life is so short. Um, and I know that because I've had a couple of family members in my family um, go through you know cancer and I know that things can happen really quickly it can happen when you're young um, so I think it's really important to kind of pursue what you love to do and seek out those learning opportunities so yeah to answer you in a really short way my day-to-day -day didn't change that much it was literally just kind of navigating the different cultural dynamics of moving from KPMG to Accenture um, yeah so that's kind of my answer yeah, I think summarizing your statements, uh, making a move definitely requires a lot of thought and like nights slept upon. Yes. Uh, if you consider yes. a move something quite significant or impactful on your life choices, uh, I've, I've yet to feel that experience. Uh, I've definitely got <laughs> to in that area and come out to you and I make that big move to like a of big Of course. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to put out there if anybody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or just message me for some you know, quick advice, I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. Um, but, you know, I'm always willing to share and to have those conversations because I think it's, I think it's really important, especially being a female, a young female of colour, of color, um, to have those positive role models and somebody to speak to and kind of lean on when you need that advice. So if there's anybody out there that wants to just reach out, please feel free to do that as well. Wow, <laughs> that's so nice of you. I think we're going to get a lot of inbox messages when this episode releases, isn't it? So oh, that's great. That's perfect to me. I love talking to people. That's why I went into psychology. Okay. Uh, here's something interesting, actually. And a common theme we actually spoke about that is quite unique about you, Michelle, and I know you encouraged me to do it as well, is taking up these yeah. initiatives whilst working for a big organisation. And so Absolutely. expanding one's reach and understanding of mm -hmm. organisational culture and the extra things you can get yourself involved in uh, is, in my opinion, something not a lot of people consider in the workplace. But you can't think about it when you're mm -hmm. in uni, right? How do I get my name out there? Uh, join student clubs, mm -hmm. join student orgs, uh, try to run for different roles and different uh, executive level roles mm -hmm. in uh, for profits. But you really stop mm -hmm. thinking about it when you start working because your name's yes. out there, right? And so during yes. the time that both KPMG and Accenture you were involved in these extracurriculars, which I didn't even know existed. So uh, talk mm. to me, Michelle, your involvement in these internal groups and your continuous mm -hmm. fulfillment of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. How mm -hmm. and why did you get yourself involved in these groups? Okay. So to answer your question, I think for me, um, so just to echo what you said about getting your name out there, 
I think that is really important, but at the same time, it's also um, what I think is actually more important is the motivation and um, the reasons as to why you want to do certain, you want to get involved with certain groups. So my involvement and motivation um, into, you know, continuously working within the diversity inclusion space, um, as well as, you know, working with all of these other um, other groups is because I genuinely have a passion for doing it. And I, I really enjoy meeting people and making a positive, tangible difference. So I think that's also really important to really ask yourself first, why am I, why do I want to get involved with this particular organization or this particular inter, uh, internal like, or external group um, and find a place in which you really feel like your values resonate? Um, because then that means you're doing it from the, you know, doing it from the right place and you're ultimately going to feel quite fulfilled for doing it. So that's what I want to say first. Um, and then secondly, to answer your question about what, you know, what kind of groups I got involved with. So at my time at KPMG, um, I was an ABCN um, um, aspirations um, mentor. So that was a, um, an organization that went out to low SES um, high schools and mentored students from years 11 um, to 12. And that kind of helped set them up for success um, in terms of um, applying for jobs, helping them with their resumes, as well as kind of being able to give them a little bit of insight and coaching into what I do day to day. I think that for me was extremely fulfilling because I was able to, again, kind of like speak to baby Michelle and, um, and to other young female, um, you know, girls of color. Um, Cause I, I wish I had that and I didn't have that. So being able to be involved with that was really, really fulfilling for me. And I really encourage everyone not just to get a mentor um, or find a mentor, I think it's actually really important to also practice being a mentor because you actually learn a lot more, I think, by being able to facilitate someone's growth um, th than just finding somebody to kind of help you with yours. So I also encourage everyone when you have that time um, in your career and you are at that point where you feel like you want to give back, that it's extremely rewarding. Um, and you don't also have to be super successful to do that as well. You can lift anyone up, um, you know, so whether that's at a school group, a small community group, it's really important. I really feel like it's very valuable for your own career too. Um, second, um, um, the thing that I got involved here at, also at KPMG was a Toastmasters um, group where we helped, I was part of the first committee that set up our Toastmasters. So if you don't know what Toastmasters is, it's a public speaking organization that kind of helps you build your public speaking skills. So for me, a piece of feedback that I got from one of my, um, directors at the time, you know, after the first couple of months at um, KPMG was that I needed to potentially build on my presenting skills. So what did I do? <laughs> I decided let's let's get on the committee and start a Toastmasters group here. And now it's a um, an 80 member strong Toastmasters team at KPMG. So I'm really proud of that. And then um, one of the things that I um, did at my time at, at, at Accenture was um, jump on board in the diversity inclusion space um, and work really closely with the cross-cultural diversity team to kind of bridge those barriers. So I, you know, worked very closely with some people that were on my team, as well as the co-lead in Melbourne and also the um, Australian and New Zealand lead. And we kind of, you know, collaborated together on a weekly basis to kind of push out um, cross-cultural diversity initiatives within Accenture. And I'm really proud of the work that
that that team is still doing. And I'm one of the things I'm really proud about was um, suggesting and being one of the first people to not call out, but to um, suggest, politely suggest that we should start all meetings with a acknowledgement of country. I think it's extremely important. Um, and it's something that I might actually extend to you as well, Kevin, um, you know, to maybe start off our podcast, especially because we're on indig Indigenous land with a acknowledgement of country before we kick off. So maybe you'll like to edit that little acknowledgement of country in there <laughs> as well. I'm happy to also um, record that and then you can you can start off our podcast with that too. Because I think it's something that a lot of um, we were not really educated about at school and at uni as well. And it's definitely something that I think needs to be done um, within workplaces and, you know, just in general. Okay. Uh, we'll probably, we'll edit that in. We'll probably edit that in. We'll shoot that. Okay. We'll edit that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, if there's one trait I could steal from Michelle right now, it would probably be her initiative or all her mm. perseverance actually. And mm. even though I've only known you for a short period, uh, Michelle, mm. you really replicate the personality everyone will want in a mentor or like an Thank older you. sister, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, come at me, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so before we sign off, actually, there's something mm. fun I like to do to conclude the 1ADC podcast. And that's yes. to ask a question that's completely unrelated to the likes on the job, but still related to the guests, actually. And so yeah. I know during your time in Accenture, you got to meet Julia Gillard, uh, yes. virtually, of course, <laughs> due to yes. COVID, uh, who, uh, for a member of our audience who's uh, really familiar with the world of politics, she is a former Prime Minister of Australia. So yes. I just wanted to ask how this experience was in general. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I didn't get to personally um, interview her, um, but we all meet her, but it was definitely, um, it was for International Women's Day, actually, Julia Gillard was a guest for Accenture and she was able to kind of um, pass on some invaluable insights and knowledge into kind of the um, women in leadership sphere. Um, and for me, that was not only very inspiring and motivating, but it was, um, I felt very empowered. So it was an amazing experience. Um, I think just to add to that as well, um, I recently um, had the, and was very fortunate to have the opportunity to interview um, Simon Longstaff, the executive director of the Ethics Center. So I'm actually also a banking and finance Oath Young ambassador. Um, and, you know, being um, a banking and Oath finance ambassador, um, one of my, you know, one of my roles is um, to kind of hold that ethics flag for within the banking sphere. So um, I had the opportunity to interview him. And I think one of the things that I wanted to pass on and what I wanted to share with um, everyone that's listening as well from my discussions with Simon was that um, it's, it's really important to, keep that curiosity flame going. That's something that Simon shared with me. He said that it was for him, it was really reassuring to see somebody my age and, 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 and so many of, you know, potentially the people listening as well, um, being so curious and so empowered and excited to really change, um, you know, the industries that we're going into. And I think that's something that I really want to end with, um, or at least pass on to everyone as well, is that don't ever stop being curious. Um, and don't ever stop asking questions. If you feel like there is something that can be done better or differently, or you don't even know why you're doing it and you need the reason and you want to ask, I think it's really important to ask because sometimes we just get stuck in our ways. Leadership gets stuck in their ways and they also don't know why they're doing it either. So um, 
and it's really important to kind of keep that that curiosity and um, inquisitive flame. So that's something that I definitely want to, um, you know, make sure everyone kind of takes away from this as well is that ask questions. Questions aren't a bad thing. And if you get pushed back, then frame the question in a way that um, that might be a little bit more that the you know the person might feel a little bit more receptive to. Wow, what a perfect way to wrap up the third episode of the podcast. Some mm -hmm. of the highlights with some of the perks you might get pursuing a career in consulting. Absolutely. You get to meet the directors, you get to meet the next prime minister. How cool yes. is that? So Michelle, it was an honor having you on as a guest today. And from the 1ADC family and myself, we're super keen to see how your future unravels. And of course, thank you for sharing your insights with our listeners. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I, again, I just wanted to say how um, excited I am to be a guest on the podcast. And I also look forward to listening to all the other episodes that come out. Um, so thank you again for having me. Yes, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and chuck us a follow. <laughs> Cheeky flop there. Yeah, and it was really great talking to you as well. I think all our listeners have taken up something from you. And I guess, well, you won't have a lot of DMs after this podcast. Yep. Episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out. Um, always happy to help and um, be a bit of a sounding board to anyone that, you know, needs a little bit of advice or even just wants to chat. Yeah.